Being Frank, Chapter 6, An Unforgettable Character Ray was an amazing mixture of a man, in many ways an extrovert, in others a very private person who was always caring about other people and seeking a word from God. He was either loved or hated. There seemed to be no half measures. We loved him. Ray was younger than either of us, but it was soon apparent that he could teach us many things if we were prepared to listen. Age was inconsequential. As our friendship deepened, we learned to understand his idiosyncrasies. Some of his antiques annoyed me, until I learnt to laugh with the rest. A day in town usually meant a season of embarrassment. He'd step out of the car on a busy thoroughfare, throw his hands up in the air and shout, World! Here I come! It was a people stopper, although I wondered who amongst these strangers would care. Frank never worried. He was inclined to join in, but I would slip into the nearest shop. It was different the night they went into Auckland City together. Crowds jostled each other as they rushed to finish their late-night shopping. Frank and Ray joined the crush to cross diagonally at an intersection. Right in the centre of the street, Ray paused long enough to issue an invitation to every pedestrian within hearing distance. Prepare to meet thy God, he shouted. People jerked to a stop as they turned to see the audacious fellow who issued such a warning. But Ray had disappeared into the crowd. Children's riding devices in city stores drew him like a magnet. One day, he succumbed to the temptation to ride the horse outside Woolworth's. Ray climbed on, dropped his 20 cents in the slot, and immediately became a crowd gatherer. Onlookers laughed heartily at the sight of a grown man rocking back and forth, apparently enjoying the ride. The manager was not amused. Get off at once, he ordered, his face red with anger. Ray looked amazed that anyone would speak to him like that. Why? I've paid my money. I'm sorry, sir, but you are too heavy for the machine. You'll break it. The manager's voice was firm. Ray dismounted. The 20 cents had run out anyway. Frank, that's probably the first time some of those people have laughed in a week, Ray said as the two of them walked away. Was Ray an extrovert by nature or because of his faith and positive confession? It was hard to decide. Frank saw a sensitive side to his nature, which felt the unjust criticism often levelled at him. Perhaps Ray was the most misunderstood Pentecostal preacher of the day. There were jealousies amongst the ministers and accusations of excess. Ray would not be deterred from his course. At least the mission is alive and growing when many of theirs are at a standstill, Ray would say. Who amongst his critics would have knelt down beside a Boy Scout, who was measuring the footpath in an attempt to raise money for a scout project? Ray offered to help. Before the boy could refuse, Ray was kneeling beside him, so that he could tell him about Jesus. When he had said all he needed to, he stood up, brushed the dust off his trousers, and went off seeking others he could bless. Like the old-age pensioners waiting in a bus station, he and Frank were walking through. Ray swung around to pray for these total strangers as prophecies tumbled off his lips. Their faces lit up with pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, was all they said as the men walked on. 
Ray never passed up an opportunity to tell Indian people of God's power to change people's lives. He could converse with them in Hindustani, a language he had learned when he lived with an Indian family. One day, Ray decided to take Althea, his wife, and I shopping. Near the city, we saw a car with its bonnet up and half a dozen men leaning over the engine. Ray pulled into the curb. Now, what's he going to do, I wondered, knowing that to Ray, points and spark plugs were all the same. He was a preacher, not a mechanic, but he had seen that the men leaning over the engine were Indian. Can I be of any assistance, he asked, as he peered into the engine with the rest. I imagined his white suit getting covered with oil. I glanced at Althea. She seemed quite unconcerned. Who but Althea could live with this man and not be hassled? The engine cut out suddenly, and we can't find out why, they informed him. Could it be the battery or the spark plugs? Ray asked, naming the only two parts he really knew. No, we've checked those. If it had been the battery, I could have helped, but if it's anything else, I can't. But there is one who can help you. Ray began to tell them it was Jesus. Althea and I walked on to the shops, knowing that Ray could be there for another hour. It wouldn't have surprised us if he'd gone home with them to have a meal. He never could resist curries. But Indians were not the only people Ray loved. His heart was big enough to include everybody, and that included us. He was the kind of gentle love Frank needed to heal the hurt of his past. To have someone believe in him when so many hadn't was like balm to his wounded soul. God had brought us to a man unique in personality and perception as well as in ministry. He only recognised one enemy, the devil, who bound people with sin, sickness and deception. The more Frank knew about Ray, the more he admired him. The son of a preacher who was totally dedicated to reaching sinners for Jesus, Ray determined also to reach his generation with the gospel. He decided the corners of Wesley and Queen Streets in downtown Auckland would be the best place to begin. But how did he get people to stop? Ah, he'd read extracts from Shakespeare. When a crowd had gathered, he'd put that down and produced his Bible. The plan gathered people, but not too many stayed when they saw this raw preacher presented his sermon. Once a man did stand right through, I must get this man saved, Ray thought, as he shouted the unchangeable truths of the Bible. He preached for five minutes, and deciding it was too short for a sermon, then did a rerun and repeated it a second time. The man didn't move until Ray invited listeners to come to Jesus. Then he stepped forward, introducing himself. I am the Salvation Army officer in charge of Congress Hall. If you preach like that, I'd like you to preach for me. Ray was delighted to accept the invitation. He worked hard on a sermon for the occasion, gleaning eight pages of information from books. He set it all down in meticulous order. The night he was to preach, he sat on the platform some four feet above the congregation, feeling he could conquer every evil thing from hell. Introductions over, Ray stood to his feet, ready to plunge into the greatest sermon the Salvation Army had ever heard. Then, disaster, eight pages of notes drifted over the edge of the pulpit to float down to the floor four feet below. Ray was horrified. Lord, I'm sunk, what shall I do? He looked up at the walls of the building. There, 
Stretching round the wall, in bold print, were a number of texts. Ray had had his answer. Starting with the first, he preached on every one of those scriptures. Years later, he recalls that he was never asked to preach there again. He joined his father in the ministry. Together they developed their gifts to better serve the Lord. When they heard of revival in America, they wrote to friends who were involved asking the secret. The answer came back in the form of a book written by W.V. Grant on the nine spiritual gifts. Well, if spiritual gifts were the answer to revival, they would learn to operate in them. Together, they studied the first gift, then hid the book while they went out and put it into operation. They did the same with the second and subsequent gifts until they operated in them all. 1 Corinthians 12 came alive. But just as the church began to grow, Ray was smitten with osteomyelitis. The pain was unbearable. When he didn't respond to treatment, the doctors knew of only one course of action to save his life. They would have to remove his leg. I won't sign any papers, he told the doctors. You think it over. It's that or die. When the doctors told him, he was swamped with fear. As soon as the doctor left, he gripped Althea's hand. Althea, don't let them do that to me, he pleaded. Don't let them take my leg off. I want to trust God. He's my healer. And he doesn't amputate legs. Althea calmed him down with a promise. I won't. We'll believe God together. The doctors agreed to leave the operation for a few days. Ray felt this was a spiritual battle which he was determined to win. Althea, I have a vision of myself climbing one tree hill on two good legs, leading a crowd of people. While Ray drifted in and out of consciousness, Althea kept reminding him of his vision. Remember, Ray, two good legs climbing the hill. He clung to his picture until he walked out of the hospital on two good legs. Now there was a new compassion in his ministry. For three years, he'd been taking a house meeting in the suburb of Mount Wellington. Earlier, he had tried tent meetings without much success. At the same time as Oral Roberts and T.L. Osborne were conducting huge healing crusades in America, Ray decided to launch out by forming a new church. He'd called it the Alice Tamaki Faith Mission. Its one purpose was to bring the message of deliverance to the needy area of the city of Auckland. Who could know then it would reach the world? From the time we joined the mission, Ray and Frank worked closely together. At first, they were both engaged in secular work, but the exploding growth of the church required Ray to give up his job so he could concentrate on the ministry. It was hard work. Ray was right. Revival is 50% God and 50% man. It didn't simply drop out of heaven as some people expected it to. Every Sunday night, in the prayer time before the meeting, Ray would pray, Lord, put out your silver net and bring the people in. Where in the Bible do you read that God has a silver net, Ray? Frank would ask. Ray only grinned. Silver net or not, God did bring in the people from all over the city of Auckland. By the busload. The news of miracles and healing spread like a bushfire. Ray was an expert communicator. Bible stories lived as he retold them. 
applying them to people's needs. Never had we heard such a preacher. Frank longed to have the same ability and faith. Our congregation was a happy mix of Maori and Pakia, as they called the Europeans. On Sunday nights, one of the Maori brethren would bring a greeting in his own language, while Frank prepared the people for Ray's sermon with a short, faith-building message. He always said it was easy to preach after Frank's word. Ray would move in with his powerful ministry. When Ray was on an overseas trip, he discovered that he was being deceived by a Maori brother with an anti-Pakia spirit, who was working to start an all-Maori meeting. When Ray told us, he simply wrote, We need not be held back by such as he. We must progress, and we do that by advancing all the time. We have no time to stay back and fight. We must push on, for time is short. Push on, he did, into realms of faith and positive confession without any of the extremes of the 80s. Why confess your weaknesses when you can confess that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, he'd say. This had a tremendous effect on Frank, spiritually and physically, acting like a stimulant on his sense of well-being. There was something of a difference of opinion about the wisdom of turning out of bed at 2.30 in the morning to answer a call for prayer from someone with a cold. Ray would always go, Wasn't this carrying love too far? Frank wondered at the selfishness of people asking their pastor to go to them at times like these. No one minded if the person was seriously ill, or if there was some other urgent reason. We had yet to learn that every need was urgent to the person with the need. Ray taught us about giving. His supply of shirts and shoes made me wonder about his money. Not that he lived in luxury, not at all. The home he and Althea were buying was a basic three-bedroomed house made into a charming home by Althea's clever touch. It was the obvious blessing of God which made people wonder. Not another new shirt, I commented one day. That must be the second in as many weeks. Ray looked embarrassed. Well, as a matter of fact, I gave two to Ted. He's out of work and having a struggle, you know. Ray was always giving away money. First he gave his tithe to church, then gifts, and a good deal more to needy people. Although Ray never let anyone know how much he gave, we knew it was a tidy sum. We never heard Althea complain. She knew it would be no use. God always blesses a cheerful giver. God said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. Running over, shall men pour into your bosom. Ray would quote. This seemed like giving to get instead of out of our love for God, a motive I could not accept. I challenged Ray. Does God always return to us the same as we give him? Does he always give us money? Might he not return spiritual blessings instead? Hazel, if you sow wheat, you get wheat. If you sow barley, you get barley. How can you get anything else but money if you sow money? I admitted it sounded logical. It was certainly that way for him. Not that he and Althea ever had more than they needed. It was no get-rich-quick scheme. But neither did they want. From then on, Frank decided we should tithe and the Lord blessed our giving. We gave because we loved God. No wonder revival broke out in Ellisil. Here was a leader who inspired the congregation by his faith and example.
Frank was one who learned to stand on the promises of God. He also learned how to handle criticism. When the pressure of criticism came on, and it seems inevitable in the ministry, Ray wasn't worried about whether it came from Orthodox or Pentecostal churches. Why should he, when his church was growing rapidly while many of theirs were losing ground? People knew where to find reality. The power of God was like electricity in the air, radically changing lives, even as ours had been changed. When Peter got filled with the Holy Ghost, it spoiled him for fishing, and Paul was spoiled for politics. Frank, when I got filled with the Spirit, it spoiled me for the churches of Christ. When you got filled with the Spirit, it spoiled you for the Salvation Army and the Baptist Church, he once said to us, sharing a truth he was reasoning in his mind. Anything less than a Pentecostal experience would have been a retrograde step for us. Frank was much more sensitive to Ray's moods than I was. Hazel. Ray needs encouraging, not discouraging, he rebuked me one day when I had criticised Ray's changes to the newsletter I had prepared. Frequently, when we went out together, we were inspired by Ray's sermonettes. These would pop out at any time and in any place, like driving down the freeway. Remember the woman taken in adultery, he'd say. How wonderful our dear Jesus was to her, and all such today. The water blushed in his presence and became wine, but never need a poor sinner blush in his presence. For them, there is always reconciling love. Ray the evangelist felt for sinners. The Lord has opened my eyes to the needs of the people, he once wrote to us when he was away on a crusade. I have stood before 450 people here and I just wept sore for them. The tears rolled down my face as the Holy Spirit touched my heart with the presence of Jesus and the needs of the people. Ray used the story of Frank's conversion and the way God came to us as an illustration in many sermons. He was sincere when he said, I know of no story to compare with your own. I have spoken at length and the wonderful work God has done for you and with you, Frank said aloud, amen. He drank in every word, Ray said, storing what he could use and discarding the rest. He'd compare this with eating the flesh of fish and discarding the bones. Sometimes Frank grew impatient with Ray's lack of self-discipline. It seemed that many Pentecostal preachers of 1955 suffered from the malady. It made us grateful for our Salvation Army experience, which had taught us discipline as probably no other organisation could. This may have been a minor matter compared with his other qualities, but we always felt he could have achieved much more in the running of the church had this area of his life been more controlled. Yet, Ray could discipline himself, as he proved by his custom to spend six days out of seven fasting and praying when he was on crusades. He liked to go straight from his room to the platform. That way he could not be caught by demanding people wanting their own private audience and prayer line. Over the years, Frank would also find this a problem. Such people interrupt the preparation of heart and mind for the meeting. It is also difficult to understand those who chase the preacher after the benediction wanting private prayer. By then, the preacher is drained of energy after giving everything to the ministry, and the natural man craves rest. Besides, in the meeting, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is strong and faith is high. This must surely be the best time for prayer. It certainly seemed so in Ray's crusades when crowds fell 
under the power of God. Accusations of pushing people down made Ray eventually reconsider laying hands on everyone. He blew on people instead, as Jesus did on the disciples. This also brought criticism. The only way was to do what he felt was right, ignoring what his critics said. Even when we met together for a time of fellowship, the presence of God often overwhelmed us. Our conversation was mostly about Jesus and the place he was filling in our lives. Such get-togethers usually ended with a time of prayer. One night, while we prayed, we could smell a beautiful fragrance in the room. It could not be attributed to flowers. There were none. Did you smell it? We asked each other. Yes, yes, yes. We all had. That is the fragrance of the Rose of Sharon. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Ray explained. God seemed to be granting us new experiences all the time, deepening our walk in the Spirit. Not everyone understood. You Pentecostals rely on experiences rather than on faith, our mainstream Christian brethren accused. Not so. With Ray's teaching, we were developing a tremendous knowledge of the Word of God. Frank found himself carried along with Ray, his faith developing while his sense of an adventure in God was sharpened to the degree that any other lifestyle would have been boring. He wanted the relationship to continue forever, but God would wean Frank as a mother weans her child so that he could fulfil his own ministry. Ray saw this coming. Frank had developed the habit of taking him a cup of cold water after the meeting had ended. Brother Bloomfield, I want you to know that bringing you this water is the greatest honour of my life, he said to Ray one night. We've lost Frank, Ray told Althea on the way home. What do you mean, lost Frank? Althea was puzzled. Ray told her about the cold water. He is a greater man than I am. When a man can be so genuinely humble, without pretense, he is a man of vision. He is ready to captain his own ship. Ray did not know it then, but it would be his ship Frank would captain. Nor did we, until we were all involved in revival meetings amongst the Maoris of New Zealand's Northland. I've been Matthew Drapper. My book called Bringing Me Back to Me is available and it's the story of growing up in a homeschooled family of 11 children in an extremist Christian environment, uh, escaping from this world and then ending up in a Pentecostal evangelical church, which was heavily influenced by uh, Hillsong music and um, Hillsong style teaching, where I experienced um, what they called an exorcism as a gay man, but have gone on to lead a wonderful, gay, in a very exciting life. Thank you very much.